Won't you stand? We're going to read some scripture together. Actually, it's going to be a pretty long portion, if you don't mind. Some of this will be familiar to some of you, and some of you maybe the first time you've heard this scripture. It's uh, it's David and Goliath. I'm I'm not going to read actually where he kills him, but leading up to that, um, we're talking about the battleground of your mind, and we're going to deal with fear today. And I believe that um, fear keeps a lot of people staying still. And God, God didn't give us fear. That didn't come from God. And so we're going to, we're going to learn how to overcome it through his grace and mercy today and, and take some, take some uh, takeaway points from this scripture. First Samuel chapter 17. Now the Philistines gathered their forces for war and assembled at Succo in Judah. They pitched camp at Ephens. Damim between Soko and Ezekah. Y'all try to read it. <laughs> Saul and the Israelites assembled and camped in the valley of Elah and drew up their battle line to meet the Philistines. The Philistines occupied one hill and the Israelites another with the valley in between them. This was common the way this would happen. It's not like this mountain and then all the way down another mountain, this long range fight. They were, they were it was pretty close. They could actually hear each other. And so there was this valley, in, a little valley in between them that they would then come together and fight in. And so they didn't have long-range weapons at that time. This is hand-to-hand combat. They're getting ready uh, to engage in. Only verse 4 happens. A champion named Goliath, who was from Gath, came out of the Philistine camp. His height was six cubits and a span. It says about nine foot nine inches tall. So take the tallest guy you know and add two feet, nine inches to it. Nine foot nine inches. He had a bronze helmet on his head and wore a coat of scale armor of bronze weighing 5,000 shekels, about 125 pounds of armor on this guy. On his legs, he wore bronze greaves and a bronze javelin was slung on his back. His spear shaft was like a weaver's rod and his iron point weighed 600 shekels, about 15 pounds on the end of his spear. Could you imagine? 15 pounds. His shield bearer went ahead of him. Now think about how big his shield bearer had to be. We're talking about a giant guy. His shield bearer had to be a big guy. If you're going to carry a shield big enough to cover him. So we're talking about two big dudes here. Goliath stood and shouted at the ranks of Israel. Why do you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine? Are you not the servants of Saul? Choose a man and have him come down to me. If he is able to fight and kill me, we'll become your subjects. But if I overcome him and kill him, you'll be become our subjects and serve us. And the Philistine said, This day I defy the armies of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. On hearing the Philistines' words, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. Now David was the son of the Ephrathite named Jesse, who was from Bethlehem in Judah. Jesse had eight sons, and in Saul's time, he was very old. Jesse's three oldest sons had followed Saul into war, and the firstborn was Iliab, the second Abinadab, and the third Shammah. David was the youngest. The three oldest followed Saul, but David went back and forth from Saul to tend his father's sheep at Bethlehem. Forty days, the Philistine came forward every morning and evening. And took his stand. Now Jesse said to his son David, Take the ephah, take this ephah of roasted grain 
and these 10 loaves of bread for your brothers and hurry to their camp. Take along these 10 cheeses to the commander of their unit and see how your brothers are and bring back some assurance from them. They are with Saul and all the men of Israel in the valley of Elah fighting against the Philistines. Early in the morning, David left the flock in care of the shepherd and loaded up and set out and Jesse, as Jesse had directed. He reached the camp as the army was going out to its battle position, shouting the war cry. Hmm. Isn't it funny how you can get excited to do nothing? Israel and the Philistines were drawing up their lines facing each other. David left his things with the keeper of the supplies and ran to the battle lines and asked for his brothers, how, how were they? As he was talking with them, Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, stepped out from his lines and shouted his usual defiance, and David heard it. Whenever the Israelites saw the man, they all fled from him in great fear. Now the Israelites had been saying, do you see how this man keeps coming out? He comes out to defy Israel. The king will give great wealth to the man who kills him. He will also give his, uh, his daughter in marriage and will exempt his family from taxes in Israel. David asked the men standing near him, what will be done for the one who kills this Philistine? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? They repeated to him what they had been saying and told him, this is what will be done for the man who kills him. When Eliab, David's oldest brother, heard him speaking with the men, he burned with anger at him and asked, why have you come down here? And with whom did you leave those few sheep in the wilderness? I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. You came only down here only to watch the battle. Now what have I done, David said? Can I even speak? He then turned away to someone else and brought up the same matter. And the men answered him as before. What David said, what David said was overheard and reported to Saul and Saul sent for him. David said to Saul, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. Saul replied. (laughs) That's a translation in the original. Saul replied, you're not able to go up, uh, go out and fight this Philistine and fight him. You're only a young man. And he's been a warrior from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. While a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it, and rescued the sheep from his mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it, and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. The uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them. Because he has defied the armies of the living God, the Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. Saul said to David, go. And the Lord be with you. Father, we thank you this morning for your goodness to us. Lord, let us hear your words. Go, and you'll be with us. Lord, let us be convinced that fear has no place in our hearts, that you have already won the victory for us. We just need to step into the battle. Thank you, God, for your assurance this morning. We we, We pray that you'd remove all fear and all doubt today. Let us have confidence that we need in you, that you will do what you say. In Jesus' mighty name we pray and everyone said, amen, amen. All right, you may be seated. Please be praying for all the college parents. Their students are going back. My wife and oldest daughter left uh, early this morning, um, taking her back to Morgantown. And they're actually in church right now. I checked on them because... 
you know, they said they were going to church. <laughs> so um, my daughter has taken a car up there for the first time. And so, uh, yeah, I mean, it's not cool. Um, so it's, uh, it's great. But be praying for all the parents. Some, some people are having their kids go off for the first time. And some for the second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh. <laughs> this is a, a familiar portion of scripture to some of you. Um, and if you, you're hearing it for the first time, it is an extraordinary story. Um, the Israelites and the Philistines were mortal enemies and they were lining up to fight. And uh, it was common the way they would line up, you know, one army against the other. And then they would come down to fight. Only on this time, the Philistines had brought a ringer. They brought a nine foot, nine inch giant with them. And, um, and I believe the mistake that the Israelites made was that they allowed the giant to dictate the terms of the battle. And oftentimes in fear, we're allowing the enemy to dictate the terms of the battle. Where in battle rules does it say that your enemy gets to determine how you fight them? Why is that a rule? Why is that a, how does the giant Philistine come down and all of a sudden say, well, this is the way we have to fight. You pick one guy and come fight me and then we'll determine the winner. I'd have been like, no, that ain't the way this is going to happen. We're all coming down at the same time. That's the way we've always done it. We're not sending some little runt out there to fight you. That's stupid. Don't we do that in our lives though? We fight on the enemy's terms. Fight on the enemy's terms. He dictates to us how the battle's going to, you know you're not going to win. You know I'm too big. You know, you know you've tried that before. It didn't work. And we, and we refuse to back out of the battle far enough to realize, hey, God, God said I could fight a different way. The weapons we fight with, we learned last week, are not the weapons of this world. And so when Satan brings the weapons of this world against us, we have to realize that he doesn't get to dictate how the battle is fought. He's not that powerful. But if you read through the scriptures about how Israel conquered the promised land, you'll find out that God always dictated how the battle would be fought. He always told the Israelites, this is how it's going to work. Whether the enemy thought different or not. Hey, Jericho, we're just going to walk around here till the walls fall down. That's how this is going to work. God dictated it. And so what we do is we, we relinquish the territory because we allow the enemy to dictate to us. So, so Goliath comes down and he says, here's the way this is going to work. You pick a guy to come fight me. You do have to realize that the enemy always wants to fight you when he has the upper hand. That's the way it works with him. It's not stupid. If Israel would have had a 10 foot 9 inch guy, Goliath would have got back in line. So what happens is the enemy sees our weaknesses and he puts a 9 foot 9 inch giant in front of us and says, now you're going to fight on my terms. As a church, we should reject that right from the beginning. No, we don't fight like you do. You forget that. We don't fight like that. God dictates how we fight. We're going to ask him how this is going to work. And then we're going to kill you. That's how this is going to go down. Could you imagine if Israel just stopped being afraid? Look at all through their history. If they just woke up one morning and went, 
We don't have to be afraid anymore. This is awesome. They walk out in front of Goliath and go, hey, you're a pretty big guy. This is going to be fun. But they didn't. It says, for 40 days they let him torment them and paralyze. Fear is a paralyzing thing, isn't it? Fear is a paralyzing thing. Uh, They were going through the motions and yet not taking any ground. I sort of think we do that sometimes. We get up in the morning, we put our clothes on, we go to work, but we really don't take any ground ever. We really don't accomplish in life what God has set out for us to accomplish because we're paralyzed with fear. What could happen, what might happen, what what probably will happen, what, oh my goodness, because it happened in the past, it's probably going to happen again, and I, 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 I can't do it, I can't do it. But we're getting up putting the armor on every morning. We're, we're good for the show. We'll get up every morning and put the armor on. And the Bible says that they, 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 would, they would yell going out to the battle lines. Now, can you imagine how silly that was after about 35 days? Like you wake up in the morning, you put all your gear on, and you go, Oh, we're going to kill him! When everybody's like, what are we doing this for? Nobody's going out there. We do that in our lives. Have that paralyzing fear when we bump up against it over and over and over again. We put our Sunday clothes on and we come to church and we and we get up for work the next morning and we keep we keep going through the motions, but we really never we never really never conquer anything because we get right up against it and we go oh 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 we'll, we'll do the we'll do the brave yelling when we get up to it, but then when we get up to it, we kind of back off a little bit like oh I don't I, I'm just I can't I can't I can't do it. Did you see how big this is? It's a huge deal. He's over nine feet tall. I, 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 I can't do it. Yeah, but you were just screaming how, how awesome. I, I, I had to do that. I mean, I'm part of the army. We just kind of scream. <laughs> it's part of the deal of getting up to where we're supposed to be. Only to be petrified and terrified and, and sit still. You know what's ironic in this? I, I love seeing irony in... in our lives. The irony is that when Saul is anointed king, the Bible says that he was a head taller than everybody else around him. And so the leader of Israel is a head taller than everybody else around him. He's just as terrified as everyone else. It doesn't matter what your outward look looks like. You can be paralyzed with fear inside. It can incapacitate you to do what God has called you. It can incapacitate you to take the next place that God has called you to take, to go to the next place, to, to start the next relationship, to, 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 to start the next job, to, to move to the next town. Nobody's supposed to move here, by the way, but, um, but it can incapacitate you. We'll, we'll, we'll do all the ceremonial things to get up to it, and then boom, when the battle is supposed to start, we go, oh, wait, wait, wait a second. Wait a second. We allow the enemy to dictate the terms. And then we just walk through the motions only to get to the same place day after day after day after day and stop. Now, Jesse already had three boys up there. Um, I keep wanting to call him Uncle Jesse, but that's from the 80s and I forget. It's like, he could be Uncle Jesse. He's an old man. At this time, he had three boys. And, uh, and they were in the line, so they had been repeating this process. David, the Bible says, was going from his father's house to the fighting lines and back over and over again, kind of taking some supplies and checking up on his brothers. 
Now they think David's maybe 15 to 17, 18. He's not old enough to be there. Um, but they were, they, some people did some calculations and Jesse had this many sons and if they had a son every year. and let's, let's, let's put him in the middle. Let's say 16 years old. He's not a combat warrior. He's not seasoned. Now, Israel is not a nation that is, that is foreign to fighting. That's how they got into the promised land. They conquered the inhabitants of the promised land. That's how they got in there. So you can imagine the lineage that had been passed up to this point of fighters. And so now we have a line full of these type of people. And they're all scared to death. And here comes David, ruddy in his appearance, the Bible says. Now what we do know about David is he's already been anointed king by Samuel. But not, not many people know that. So he's just another kid stepping up into the lines, coming up to see what's going on. So he comes waltzing up there. Everybody's panicked in fear. They're just standing there as they do. And twice a day, this giant comes out taunting them, talking smack, telling them how he's, how he's defying them to their face and they can do nothing about it. So David happens to be up there. His, his dad says, hey, go up, take, uh, take some flour up to him, take 10 loaves of bread, and take their commander some cheese. They like the goat cheese. Take them the goat cheese. So he, he runs his stuff up there. Well, before he gets there, they all take off to go uh, get in line to fight. And so he leaves the materials, and then he goes up with them. Like, hey, I want to check it out. I want to see what's going on. And so when he gets there, he hears... What's happening? He hears the talk. He hears everybody talking, and then he gets to hear the Philistine giant. Now, now what happens is David finds out that there's an incentive to fight the giant. The guys are all talking about, hey, listen, if somebody would go fight the giant, Saul said he would make him rich. He'd eliminate all taxes. Right there's enough, bro. Just take them all out. Take all the taxes away. I'm there. And he would give them his daughter. <laughs> I told the first service, I said, I'd have to pause on that. Like, can I get a picture? First. <laughs> like, is this more beneficial to you or me? I'm trying to figure out what you're doing there. I, re- I remember stories in the Bible where the guy ended up with the girl he didn't think he was getting. And he wasn't pleased about it. I think they said she was weak-eyed. That's what they said. You know what? Earthly incentives are never enough to overcome fear. They're just not. There's things you won't do for a million dollars. We say that type of stuff. Don't, don't we say it? I wouldn't do that for a million bucks. I would. There's no way I'd do that. Why? million dollars is a decent amount of money. After taxes, not so much. But if you get a million dollars and you don't have to worry about taxes, like they were going to... All the incentives were leaning their way and yet nobody would step forward. No one would step forward. And I started thinking, like we try to incentivize people. Oh, come on, it'll be cool. Come on, you'll be, you'll be famous. Come on, come on, you'll, you'll make a lot of money. You'll do all this. And yet we are, we are impotent in breaking the fear cycle. Everybody will like you. 
Every, and so Saul's going, all, all I know how to do is just try to get him to do it. I'll give you my daughter. I'll wipe away all the taxes. I'll make you rich. And everybody's like, nah, man, that's not enough. That's not enough. Listen, if as the church we try to incentivize people to live for Christ by earthly blessings. Come on, you're setting people up for trouble. Because as soon as it doesn't look like their lives are being blessed, boom, right back into the fear. So we try to incentivize. Oh, if you give your life to Christ, all the fear will go away. Your life will be perfect. No, it won't. Matter of fact, it might get more difficult. It might get more difficult. And so what we do is we, we roller coaster through our lives. We try to, we try to twist the scripture into the earthly incentives. Uh, well, God will make me rich. Well, I'm not rich yet, so now I'm afraid. Well, that's not what it says. But it does say he will be with you. It does, say, it does say that he's already won the victory. It does say that you don't have to worry. It does say that you don't have to It does say that the spirit he gave us was not fear. But a spirit of victory. So it does say things that we can latch on to no matter what circumstance our life is in. Because here's what I know about incentives. They all go away sooner or later. They all go away sooner or later. Because guess what? The incentives he was giving would not last forever. So King, man, you're trying to get me to go up against a guy and I don't even know what your daughter looks like. I don't know how long you're going to be king. Trying to incentivize things for me that you can't guarantee. And we know this ends up being trouble because David ultimately ends up taking that daughter and he ends up having trouble out of her later. Don't you dance like that for everybody and disgrace yourself. And David says, you better get away. If God gives me the victory, I'm going to dance the way I know how to dance. And so... So if we try to just incentivize people with earthly things, it never works out. But if we say, listen, God gave you the victory. He's called you no matter how difficult it is. He's called you no matter how scary it is. He's called you to do this. And he has promised you the victory. Step into his grace and mercy. As we know, we've learned through scripture that it's enough. I don't need you to promise me wealth because his grace is enough. I don't need you to promise me anything on this because it says his grace is enough. And so I try to compare fear with what I'm going to get on this earth, and it never works out. But if I compare fear to what he's guaranteed me, that's a different story. David is the only man willing, and willing to do that. So David comes running up to the lines. What did he say? What did the king say? Oh, man, he said he'd make you rich. That's what he said. Who's this guy screaming at Everybody. That's the giant, David. That's the guy that's going to kill us all. (laughs) That's him. Did he say, did, did did he just talk about God like I think he just did? Now you can imagine at this time, they're all looking at him like, just shut up, man. Matter of fact, we know his brothers say that. So David ends up inquiring about all this stuff. His brothers start hammering him, which we'll talk about later. And then David, um, through like a series of events, like he, he starts talking to some other people and they hear what he's talking about. He's like, I'll go, I'll go. And, um, and the word gets to Saul and Saul invites him into his tent to talk to him. 
Now, now Saul, Saul is entertaining him for a little while without, without the idea of him actually sending him out to battle. Saul says, come on, come on, kid. These guys have been out here fighting their whole lives. Goliath has been fighting his whole life. You're 15, 16 years old. You've been a shepherd. You, you don't even know what to do. I want you to see what David says right here. It's fascinating what he, what he does. He doesn't, he doesn't say, I know how to fight people. He uses his experience and he says it like this. He says, when he was shepherding sheep. He said, I've been keeping my father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it. Struck it and rescued the sheep from its mouth. You can imagine he's got a staff. And uh, in Africa, they call it a rungu. And they will take a plant. And they're about this long. I actually have one. I bought one from a Maasai guy uh, for five bucks. I thought it was a good deal. <laughs> it's got, on one end, it's got a, they all look the same. It's got a root ball on one end. They carve that root ball round. And it ends up being about this long. And when anything comes after their animals, they'll, they'll hit it with it. And, and you don't want to get hit with this thing. So David says, listen, when the lion or the bear came, I struck that thing with my stick and rescued the sheep. And then when the sheep turned back around, or when the, when the lion turned back around after I hit it and came after me, I grabbed it and killed it. Now, I don't know if this is a full-grown lion or not. It's David's story. But he has a unique perspective on his past that a lot of us don't have. Because he correlates the victory that God gave him with, a, a, with the ability to have another victory. Now, I want to give you real life, how we talk about things. So, you were coming to church today. You were on the interstate and two people almost cut you off or did cut you off. Here's how we'll talk about it. We'll say, man, I was coming to church and uh, man, I got cut off twice. It's crazy. That place is nuts. I'm not driving on the interstate anymore. My response to you would be, well, did they hit you? And you would say, well, no. And I would go, okay. So it was a normal day on the interstate. Right? Come home from work. That person said this, blah, 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 blah. And the bus. And, and then you end it with, but the boss didn't believe him and I got a promotion. But I don't know if I can work there anymore because all this is crazy. And I would say, so at the end of the day, you got a promotion. Well, yeah, but it's crazy. You see, we use past experience not to do something. <laughs> it's crazy. No matter how it turns out, we will use it not to do the next thing. Yeah, yeah. No, no, no. I didn't get hit on the interstate, but it's so dangerous that I can't drive on it anymore. Wait, but, you're, but you've never been in an accident on the interstate. No, I haven't. No, I haven't. God, so God has kept you. Yes, but look at the potential for accident. So we will take something that has happened, even if we got the victory over it, and we will use it as a reason not to do something else. 
David takes something that happens and he got the victory of it and used it as a stepping stool for the next victory. See how different that is? We are looking for reasons not to do the next thing. David is looking for excuses to do the next thing. He's saying, I know, I know that I'm not a, a fighter like, like you think I should be, but I've got a couple experiences back here in my past. Now, now let, me, let me say this. Experience isn't everything. Because by all rights, Saul should have said, you haven't been fighting the right stuff. I don't think you're ready. And experience alone doesn't make you capable. But it does give you a platform. Because listen to me, all of you are still here. You chuckled. How about an amen in that? All of you are still here. So through all the things that you've walked through, all the things that you've suffered through, all the things that you had to figure out, all the times that God kept you, delivered you, healed you, provided for you, gave you the victory, all of those times are not to stand here now and go, well, we can't do this because I barely made it. No, no, no. Those are all stepping stones to say, man, if I can make it through that, if a lion could come at 14, 15 years old and attack one of my sheep and I could kill it, I can stand in front of this guy. Why, why shouldn't I? If a bear can come and attack and I can kill it with my bare hands, why shouldn't I believe that God can give me the victory here? Listen, experience on its own is not what I'm talking about. It's how you frame the experience. And if we sit If we sit and just look back on our past as all these bad things that have happened, then we'll be paralyzed to move forward. But if we look back at our past and say, God gave me the victory on every single one, I'm standing here right now. God gave me the victory in every single one of these things, and he gave it to me so that I have the confidence to go into the next one. And the next one. And the next one. Because if you think there's only one giant, come on. And the next one, and the next one. It's how you frame it. It's how you, you didn't almost just die. No, God rescued you. I I know people that will drop, this is, it's a, it's a pet peeve of mine. I know, I, I know people that drive down the interstate and it's like every day, it's like they got a big target on their back. They're like, cut me off. It's just on their bumper. Please cut me off. I want something to talk about today. It's like, I've never seen anybody. I'm starting to think you're the common denominator. I'm starting to think you're trying to get cut off. Do you know when I travel to Africa, nobody ever talks that way. Nobody ever says, I almost got cut off today. They're like, I passed everyone. I was driving as fast as I could. I passed everyone. God gave me the victory today. Do you see how we frame things? Do you see how I frame it? You're not a victim anymore. God gave you the victory. You don't have to stand up there afraid, listening to Satan and letting him dictate all the terms of your life. You can stand up and say, you know what? He's brought me this far. And so why wouldn't he give me the victory over this? Why wouldn't he deliver me? Why wouldn't he provide for me? I don't have to be afraid today. He's proven himself. Amen. You know what the fascinating thing about this is? Is that Jesse was expecting something that wasn't happening. You know it's always embarrassing? When fear has crippled me to the point where I can't meet expectations. 
You do realize that Jesse sent David there to find out how they were winning. That translation in the NIV that says assurance doesn't really communicate it well in our modern day language. But he said, David, go up there, take him some bread, take him some supplies, take the commander some cheese, and bring me back some Philistine loot. I know they're winning. I, I mean, I'm, I'm sure of it. Bring me back some proof that my sons are kicking butt. Imagine David going up and finding out, ooh, I'm not taking back anything to dad, but some good old-fashioned fear. Hey, dad, well, you know what? Uh, it's a little complicated. <laughs> what do you mean they're not winning? Well, they're not losing. <laughs> Last month and a half, everybody just kind of been standing there. Could you imagine? Imagine how many things we're supposed to be victorious in. How many things in our lives that we could be victorious in. And yet we stand there. Now, I want to tell you this. I think the band's going to come up. And I'm going to fill you in on something that can help you with your fear and help you overcome. So remember, fear will paralyze you. And some of the reason that we're in the same place we've been in for 10 years, emotionally, physically, spiritually, is because we've been scared. Paul recognized it in Timothy's life and he said, listen, I know the lineage you have in the gospel and God didn't give you a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. You got to get a hold of yourself, Timothy. You got to remember what God has done in your past, through your life, through your family. You got to remember the truth about what God is to you and what He's promised you. You got to remember the truth. Every time Satan tries to dictate the terms, you remember the truth. You remember what God promised. You remember that He promised you the victory. You remember that He promised you power. You remember that. So, what happens in this circumstance is this. When David comes to the battle lines, he talks to the wrong people first. Think about it. Misery loves company, right? Right? You know what we do oftentimes? We talk about, we talk about God giving us victory to the wrong people. Might be a family member, might be a friend, might be a co-worker. David's naive, he's young, he doesn't know any better. He's just running up talking to the people he knows. Hey, what's going on, man? What are you doing here? I don't know, I'm just coming up to check it out. Who's this guy yelling at everybody? David. Did he just say what I think he said? Did he justify the army of the living God? David, shut up, man. 16 years old. Just shut up. Matter of fact, you, you, you get a little glimpse into him and his siblings' relationship when his brother's like, you're always doing this. You get a little, you, you're, you're just always doing this, David. You can hear it. And they're kind of, Samuel comes and anoints you king and you think you're going to run all of us. Now you're up here 16 years. Now you're, you're not even a man yet. Now you're up here acting like you're going to do something. How many times have you heard that from someone that you were hoping would encourage you? You work up enough, work up enough gumption. You've been praying, 
reading the Bible, you've been, you've been reading scripture where, where it's like God's talking to you. Like, you know it, you know it, you know it. You're like, God, I believe that you've, you're doing this in my life. You give me the victory. And then the first person you run into to share that with, they go, man, that's dumb. Don't do something like that. That's dangerous. That's crazy. You shouldn't think that way. Come on. Don't do that. Don't don't make it. Have some sense about yourself. You know what I appreciate about David? He went, all right, I'm going to talk to somebody else. He didn't go home. He didn't go home. He didn't run away. He didn't let a couple naysayers tell him to go. He didn't, he didn't let a couple unbelieving people. He didn't let a couple other scared people tell him not to trust God. See, that's what we got to be careful about. We end up being fearful and we end up hanging around fearful people because we're all, we all, we got some in common. Are you scared of that? Yeah, me too. Oh my goodness. Some brave guy walks in with a snake and all of you run off, you know, that's not going to happen here. Here's what David does that you need to learn. If you're going to break the fear, you might have to break away from some people. Some people that have been telling you, no, 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 don't do that, don't do that, don't do that. That's too much of a risk. That's too much. You shouldn't give that much money. You shouldn't, you shouldn't try to love that person again. You shouldn't forgive that person. You shouldn't do this. You shouldn't do that. You sh- that's not God. God wouldn't tell you to do that. That's not, that's not. Step away. What I appreciate about David in this, in his, in his youth, he had enough wisdom not to just listen to anybody. And he just went, I'll just talk to somebody else then. I'll just talk to somebody else. I'll just talk to somebody else. And you know what? I just talked to somebody else until he was standing in front of Saul. There was a tenacity in his spirit that would not let him accept fear as an outcome. And he just said, you know what? You don't think this can, I'll just talk to somebody else. I'll just, yeah, I'll just talk to somebody else. I'll just keep going. And finally he makes it in front of Saul and he says, I know what God's capable of. I don't know what all these people out here think, but I know what the God of all creation is capable of, and I've seen him prove it in my life. Let me do something. Let me do something. And the story goes, Saul tries to put his armor on him, and David's like, that ain't going to work, man. I'm going to just go out like this. I got some skills that God gave me. I'm going to just go out like this. And David, as a teenager, walks out and flings a rock and hits the biggest guy anybody had ever seen right between the eyes and knocks him out and cuts his head off with his own sword. Do you believe that? Stand to your feet. I want to encourage you today that you don't have to look like anybody else. You don't have to dress like anybody else. You don't have to act like anybody else. You don't have to have any more talent or ability than what you already have. You don't have to have any more support than what you already have. God has given you enough in and of what you have right now to conquer the fear that you're dealing with. You and God is enough to beat the devil every single time you walk up against him. Let God dictate the terms. Let him dictate the victory and use what he's already given you. Did you hear me? Use what he's already given you. You're afraid you need something else. You don't need something else. You're afraid you need to be like somebody else. You don't need to be like somebody else. You're afraid that you don't have enough. David had a slingshot and some rocks. And by anybody's account, that wouldn't have been enough, but it was. By anybody's account, walking around a wall seven times wouldn't have been enough, but it was. By anybody's account, it wouldn't have been enough. So stop telling yourself in fear that I don't have enough, that I'll never be enough, that it's not going to work out, and start realizing that God has already dictated the victory for you, and you just have to stand up and walk into the battle.
Amen? You just have to stand up and walk into the battle. So let's do that this morning. Can we do it together? Come on, lift your hands to him as a sign of victory. That you're not going to take it anymore. That you're not going to let him dictate it anymore. That the devil is defeated. He's always been defeated. And now you're just taking your place where God has put you. Father, we trust you this morning. With every lie the devil has told us, with every time we've run away scared, with every fear and doubt that we're dealing with right now, we trust you that your word is true, that you have already won the victory, that you've already given us all that we need. Lord, you have supplied to us all the tools we need right now to defeat the devil. And we pray, Lord, give us the courage just to step into the battle. Let us step into it with all the confidence that we can have, knowing that you have gone before us, knowing that you have promised, knowing that you are responsible for the victory. God, we ask for it this morning. Break every chain of fear right now. Lord, we refuse to be paralyzed anymore. We are going to take the ground that you've given us today. Thank you for it. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Come on, if you believe that, could you give him honor and glory today? He's good, amen? Hey, listen, encourage somebody on your way out. You can be generous as you leave and we'll see you back here next week.